We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, Rotoviz listeners? It's Colin Kelly here, executive producer of Rotoviz Radio and one of the co-hosts of the Rotoviz Overtime Podcast. I just wanted to drop by and say thank you, as always, for listening into another Rotoviz Radio production. As a loyal podcast listener, you can save yourself 10% off a Rotoviz NFL pass right now at rotoviz.com forward slash podcast or by simply adding the code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. That'll get you access to all of the content and tools on the Rotoviz website, the best tools and content in the business for the best listeners in the business. As always, we do appreciate you listening to each and every show. And if you do have 5, 10, 15 seconds to spare, please drop a rating for today's show on your favorite podcast app. It is much appreciated. With all that said, thank you once again for tuning in. I hope you have a great day. Now let's get back to the show. We're talking stacking in best ball leagues, reverse engineering teams, and more on Roto-Viz Radio. Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin alongside Rotoviz writer and host of the Roster Locked Best Ball Podcast Show, Zachary Kruger. He was here on Wednesday. I roped him into coming back. I have a lot of best ball questions for him this evening, but more importantly, Zach, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Uh, pleasure to be asked back again. I guess the reviews went pretty well in the first show, so we're back here ready to do it again. Nice. You you managed to to navigate that lightning round last time. Uh, you know, so as a result of that, you've been invited back, I think. Yes, uh, I, I had a feeling it was gonna be that was what it was gonna be stipulated on is me navigating the lightning round properly. So I, I knew the pressure was on that a second show hinged on this success. So I that's why I went for the 30 seconds and getting in and getting out. <laughs> Absolutely. So uh, as I mentioned last episode on roster luck, you have talked with a lot of really smart people, Sean Siegel, a lot of other names in the industry. Do you have a biggest lesson that you have learned just from drafting so many teams now with a variety of people? 
Yeah, so that's a really good question. Actually, I saw that when I was prepping for the show. You sent me the show sheet, and it was a really, really fun question. Yeah, I've had a lot of really good guests on recently who it's just been, first of all, an honor that they even came on in the first place, and then actually taking the time to do a draft with me and talk some strategy is just awesome. But um, I had Sean Siegel on. I had John Daigle on a few weeks ago from NBC Sports Edge. I recently had on Hayden Winks for my most recent episode from um, underdog fantasy and all the awesome work they're doing over there. Um, But I think we may have even touched on this a little bit in the previous show, but when you get into a draft with Sean Siegel, it is a legitimate experience. It's you could, you should, you should probably be charged uh, to, to have the privilege of doing it just because of the way he thinks about things and the way he approaches the game is just so different from anyone else I've talked to or had a chance to speak with. Uh, I know that in particular for the draft that we were preparing for, which was one of the $125 FFPC best ball tournament drafts. Um, I was sitting at work one day, kind of, you know, just, doing my full-time job, Sean drops me a uh, Google Docs spreadsheet with, I think, all the ADPs as of like the most recent two weeks for players in the best ball slim format, which is what the FFPC best ball draft tournament is. It's a slim draft. And he's like highlighting players and he's like pointing things out. And he's like basically prepping based on a simple color code thing, you know, um, on a spreadsheet players he likes and asked me to do the same for players. I liked it was a really simplistic concept at first, but, um, one thing that I thought was really great, especially when you're trying to draft with someone else, uh, if you can kind of do that planning in advance when it came time to actually draft, it made things, I think a lot easier for Sean and I having that spreadsheet to look back on being able to see, you know, we used red, green, yellow, and, and orange. So it was very simple just to see players who we were both kind of on the same page on who we liked. So we knew the direction each other would want to be going in. Um, um, so I thought that that was kind of an interesting lesson to learn, something that you can do on your own or with a partner. Uh, and then one of the other things that I've learned, um, had a chance to talk with John Daigle about this a little bit. And then also just in listening to his podcast with um, NBC Sports Edge, he's mentioned it several times. thought it was really interesting the way Daigle sometimes tries to um, look a little bit into the fantasy football crystal ball to prepare best ball stacks as if something is going to happen. So an easy one to point out right now would be this idea that maybe Aaron Rodgers is going to be joining the Denver Broncos as you're building out your stacks maybe rather than stacking Aaron Rodgers with Devontae Adams uh, with Aaron Jones with Robert Tunyon if you think there's actually a chance that this trade could go down this trade could happen uh, Aaron Rodgers is already going at a value so getting him at um, like something like a creative kind of galaxy brain Broncos stack um, is just a fun way to think about it. If you're doing that with Julio Jones and Ryan Tannehill before the Titans trade, that was cool. So just, just trying to think about things differently, trying to think about the game differently to gain an edge because it's very hard to find an edge these days with so many people consuming so much best ball content and doing so many drafts on all these different platforms we have. Yeah, those are really uh, interesting points. Uh, on the Aaron Rodgers front, yeah, I mean, he is definitely going super unvalued at this point. I mean, there are, I mean, who knows? But I guess the larger takeaway there is uh, if Aaron Rodgers does play, a lot of owners are going to be very, very happy. Because I think even if he goes to Denver, you're, Denver, you're still going to get some pretty good numbers. But yeah, let's move along. That's because... Uh, you recently wrote about stacks, which you just talked about. And mm-hmm. what I want you to break down for us is explaining why we should care about stacks in best ball. And then if you think there's applicability about stacks to 
redraft leagues. Now, I should say that a lot of our listeners probably understand, uh, you know, that we have tools that help break down stacks and why that might be worthwhile. But just kind of run us through it as if, like, you know, we don't really have any background knowledge. Okay, so um, real quickly, we'll just start with if you're a Rotovis subscriber and maybe you don't mess around with best ball yet or you're considering it and you want to get um, some information on how some of this stuff works and start figuring out how you might want to map out your drafts. Last year, Mike Beers put out the best ball win rate. Yeah, I'm going to butcher this because it is a mouthful. It's the best ball win rate explorer tool, which is almost like a Swiss army knife of best ball tools. It's got a lot of tools within that tool once you access it, but that is a great starting point for some of the different stacking tools that uh, we have over here at Rotoviz. So I would tell you to start there if you were new um and then within that tab there's um what within that tool there's a tab that is called the player win rate explorer which lets you look at how teams um are stacked across you know the historical um years in best ball competition for either best ball tens or ffpc leagues in an article that i wrote back in june um which was um a prelude i believe to my article with sean siegel after um or as we were leading up to our our uh, ffpc best ball tournament draft we've taken a look at a couple different stacks in an article that i titled uh roster locked ffpc tournament special stacks that bend but won't break and some that could win at all and what we were trying to find was stacks that were coming at a decent price tag um that would be that would make sense for regular season drafts and then also trying to stack offenses in various points of your draft and with kind of with the assumption that your team is going to go far your team's going to make the playoffs and once you get into the playoffs now they're prepared to dominate in the playoffs because of those weekly um because of the how the schedule plays out over weeks 14 to 17 when the ffpc best ball tournament playoffs take place um so that that's kind of the general idea of the, you know, just that article once behind, I would definitely encourage you to go check it out. But to answer your original question, Dave, of, you know, why is stacking good? Is it important? Uh, I, to kind of put it simply, it's a, it's a great way to try to invest heavily in offenses that you believe in and in offenses that you can um, come up with kind of scenarios or have reasons to think that they could be a profitable offense for you in terms of best ball scoring ADP prices. Maybe you're trying to find that late round quarterback to mesh with the early round wide receiver. In my article, I reference pairing Matt Ryan with um, Calvin Ridley of the Falcons uh, or possibly even Kyle Pitts, who's also a got an early pick at the time of the article he was going at the tight end four. Uh, it, it's a way to invest in those offenses, bank on upside in a big way, realizing that if multiple if multiple players within these offense are successful and you have them, you're hopefully getting a lot of fantasy points. And then if you blend that properly with schedules, particularly in the fantasy playoffs, then you may have a chance to actually win it all and walk away with a, um, you know, a substantial amount of money compared to when you first entered the tournament. So it is important. It is something that is actionable in best ball. Now you had also just asked the question of whether or not it's something we should consider doing in redraft leagues, correct? Yes. Yeah. So, so I think that's interesting. I, I, I don't, I'm not a redraft. I'm not crazy about redraft leagues. I do play them. I play them in home leagues um, with buddies. I don't do a lot of them though. I've just kind of really taken, 
taken hold of best ball and run with it over the last couple of years. But I still think that at the end of the day, if you can come up with a scenario in your mind where it does make sense, I think that a lot of the rules for best ball can still apply to redraft. And I'd be curious to hear your opinion too. But at the end of the day, redraft league is still going to have most likely playoffs if we're assuming a head to head style of, of uh, league. And you're still going to want to kind of have in the back of your mind players. Who you're going to need to hit during that playoff period and find that perfect blend of, um, Right, rightly priced player during the regular season um, with excellent playoff schedule that will hopefully get you to that coveted fantasy football championship. And if you're able to grab a couple of those pieces and enjoy their success along the way, both in the regular season and then in the playoffs, I think that you'll be all the better for it and benefit from it in a big way. I, I don't think that teams who were you know, doing something like pairing Josh Allen and then Stefan Diggs in the fifth or sixth round last year thought that, you know, that was, that was, too awful of a strategy i think that probably worked out quite well for them so i think there are ways that you can stack and redraft and um you know and, and benefit from it yeah so my my perspective on that is that you don't want to stack just to stack in a redraft league whereas in a best like normally if you're playing best ball you have a ton of teams uh, yeah. So you can get away with, with with not being precise about the teams that you go for. But I do think that there is something to be said if there's teams that you feel really good about trying to pair that quarterback with his receivers or some other type of relationship that might make sense for a certain team. The other thing that you can do that I will kind of on some of my teams focus on is not necessarily stacking in the draft, but once week three, week four rolls around where I have a better idea of how teams are going to look when I'm playing the waiver wire, add some of the lower level players that if they find themselves in profitable situations for themselves, then would complement the other pieces that I have. So if I have a quarterback and he's on a team that's doing pretty well, their third or fourth receiver, um, if they're not rostered, then maybe that's the player that I go ahead and I add to my team. Sometimes that plays dividends. Sometimes it doesn't. But obviously that player is in a spot on your roster where you can kind of churn through them. So I guess my, you know, in conclusion, like I said, under redraft league, I wouldn't stack just for the sake of it. Uh, if you can make it happen, it's definitely not a bad strategy. And then you can also do fun things with it during the season. Now, the other article that you recently put out that I wanted you to talk about, and this is something that Sean um, definitely likes to do when he's mm -hmm. thinking about drafts in all format formats is kind of reverse engineering a team. So could you kind of break down what's entailed in that process and then why you think it's a, it's a good practice to employ? Yeah. So let's, let's talk about that because it is a, it is a fun topic. When I was actually recording um, one of our episodes uh, for the best best ball show with Colin Kelly a few weeks ago, uh, some of our behind the scenes chatter uh, that went unrecorded was just talking about the idea of reverse engineering. And when he knew I had Sean coming on, he had said that that was one of the biggest things he learned from Sean was about how to reverse engineer. And he hasn't looked at fantasy football the same since. So 
I took the opportunity then to tell Sean, Hey, I'd like to learn a little bit about that too. Um, maybe you could walk me through it since you've done it once or twice. And he was more than happy to do it. So I've been learning a little bit along the way over these last several weeks, in addition to having read some of Sean's pieces on it in the past. But if you haven't checked it out yet, reverse engineering the draft is, is kind of exactly what it sounds like. It's working backwards. Um, it, it's, it's kind of playing out the draft from a, how you could see it closing standpoint and who you would take at the end of drafts to help you better um, maybe get an idea for who you may take earlier in the drafts um, based on things like your build, your roster construction preferences and things like that. So um, what we do in the case of the FFPC slim format is we take a look at, um, you know, you take a look at the, FFPC best ball draft grid, which you can find under the FFPC uh, exposures and ADP tool. There's a draft grid board there um, of recent ADPs. So you can kind of pull that up. You get all 18 rounds, all 12 teams and where players tend to be falling. And then you begin to look back at um, drafts and trying to map out where you may take a player in the late rounds um, with that things in mind, like strategy and idea um, players who you like um, in those ranges as well. So you can hopefully come into a draft better prepared to knock out those late round picks um, as you then prep for the early round picks. So it's a, it's a good way to work backwards to gain a better understanding of what you're going to be looking for later on in drafts when maybe, you know, some of the, the player pools dried up a little bit, uh, you, you're, you're hopefully prepared to tackle that. It's, I think, especially beneficial in a live round draft format where um, a lot hinges on you making kind of decisions quickly and accurately. If you know that certain players are going to be going in certain rounds and you've mapped that out in your head, then when it actually comes time um, to, to execute on maybe a 30 second or one minute clock, now you don't feel pressed up against it and like you're at risk for making a wrong decision. You hopefully have felt prepared over the course of this reverse engineering process to know who may be there, where you're going to take them and how you're also going to pivot to another player. If the player you orig originally want doesn't actually fall to you. Um, so yeah, it, it's a good way to work backwards. And it's a great mental preparation for a draft, I think, and something that I'm going to be looking to do more of throughout the remainder of this off season. And then again, in 2022, we're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. With everyone fighting for attention, how can your business stand out and connect with customers? Easy, with Constant Contact. Constant Contact's award-winning marketplace platform has helped millions of small businesses stand out, stay top of mind, and see big results fast. It's okay if you don't know much about marketing. 
Constant Contact's writing assistant tools and automation features help you craft messaging and say the right things at the right time. I use this to help write and send my email newsletters, and you should too. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. Yeah, and that makes me think of a couple of things. The first being that it's also a great way to think about to bring back this idea of stacking, to think mm-hmm. about ways that you could stack. If you have planned out targets that you like in later rounds, that you have a higher probability of being able to get on your team, because obviously earlier on in the draft, it's hard to know which players are going to be available, but less players that are not in as high of demand that you can grab in round 18, round 19. If you have an idea of who some of those are going to be, you can then kind of think ahead uh, earlier in the draft as to, you know, maybe which later round quarterback you're going to go with uh, or something along those lines. I also like to use it. If I have my idea of in a particular draft, the players that I'm taking later on who are normally going to be upside type of players, I have an idea of their profile. And if I have that in the back of my mind, which positions they're at, uh, what type of upside they represent, et cetera, I can then have that factoring into the decisions that I make earlier on in the draft. And it also helps you to get a sense of what your team is going to look like when it's all said and done. And like you said, a lot of it's about preparation and knowing how you're going to be able to pivot. And this ties in with one concept that I talk a lot about, which is, If you're in an auction draft, you really need to think about the different ways that things could go in that draft and how you're going to react. It's the same thing in a snake draft, right? Like you should have ideas of how you're going to pivot and approach things. If for whatever reason, you know, when you're on the clock in your first pick, you're forced to go outside of the position that you were expecting. How are you going to react to that? How are you going to build out your team? So I always like to have a couple of plans that I can execute with different roster constructions when I'm heading into a draft. And I think that the reverse engineering process really helps you think about how you could do that. So I would definitely recommend everybody that you go out, you read Zach's article on this, get a sense of what he and Sean did. And then also, you know, anything you can read from Sean Siegel, you definitely need to. Uh, And, you know, some of his pieces are going to touch upon this. So go looking for those as well. But one one other thing, sorry, one other thing I just want to say too, because I think sometimes um, for those maybe who are a little bit more casual players, if, if you're not comfortable entering into a draft, maybe you haven't been doing 50, 60, 70 best ball drafts over the last several months. If you've only maybe done one or two, or maybe you're about to head into your first one, if you haven't done those drafts and you're not familiar with the flow of a draft room for the 2021 season, uh, this concept of reverse engineering a draft will, I think, adequately prepare you for tackling that first draft because now you can kind of play out a real draft in your head backwards looking at those draft grids again as well and maybe understanding not only how a draft will unfold from the beginning but also how it'll round out in the end i think that if you haven't been in a lot of draft rooms that reverse engineering kind of gives you that practice of being in a draft room even without actually having that experience of being in a real one yeah that's that's a great point as well because <laughs> you know it is funny i think sometimes we forget that we probably do have people listening that are only playing like a 16th of the leagues that we are uh, yes but these are the well-adjusted people of society <laughs> absolutely 
Yeah. All right. That alarm that you hear is representative of a segment that I like to call time to panic. And I want to know which are the who are the players that you are panicking on this year? So give me two players that you want nothing to do with this season. All right. So I have been doing I, I'm not one of the well adjusted people of society. So I've been doing a lot of drafts. So I have a little bit of everybody um, in some way or another in terms of best ball. But one guy who I have been regularly fading as often as I can, unless I just think his value is insane is Baltimore Ravens running back JK Dobbins. Uh, JK Dobbins is a very popular player in drafts right now, depending on the format that you're playing and you're probably getting him somewhere around the end of the second round to the middle of the third round, depending on uh, again, the format you're playing and also how high drafters are on him. But J.K. Dobbins is just one of those players who I, I get concerned that his ADP is go is just a little bit too high and that he runs a risk of not returning the value that we're looking for when you're taking him inside the top 20 running backs in a fantasy football draft. Um, we know that he obviously wasn't the starter last season for Baltimore. He kind of worked his way into the fold. He didn't have an RB1 week until week 11 against the Tennessee Titans uh, where he scored 18 and a half fantasy points. And then his only other RB1 week actually came in week 17 um, which is largely a meaningless week for most fantasy players up until perhaps this upcoming year where it's a little bit more meaningful. But that was uh, a 28-point output against the uh, Cincinnati Bengals in Week 17. Other than that, he sprinkled in six RB2 weeks and then a handful of RB3-plus weeks. But when you're looking at where he was ranking when he kind of entered that full-time starter role, which was around Week 8, um, when he saw a career high 54 snaps. And then from there on out, he went on to have 36, 29, 41, only 21 snaps against Dallas in week 13, and then over 30 snaps the rest of the way in each of those weeks. Despite all those high snap rates where he averaged over 30.4 snaps per game for the entire season, um, J.K. Dobbins just did not return a lot of RB1 weeks. And he's kind of being drafted as a low end running back to, or as a high end running back to low end running back one. But I know that there's people out there who are banking on him possibly being a running back one um, who maybe are taking a wide receiver with the first round pick and then good running mid back with JK Dobbins in the second. And while I like JK Dobbins, he was first in yards per carry last season. He was 16th in total rushing yards. He was even the running back seven in fantasy points over expectation per game. So he has a lot of good marks for a first year running back, but there's just a little bit of concern with me when it comes to um, really the, the offense that he plays on. It's an offense that is going to use two running backs. Gus Edwards is going to get plenty of work as well. And then on top of that, you always have to be concerned about Lamar Jackson at the goal line um, down in the red zone, always a threat to run it in. So, when you factor those things in, just from a rushing perspective, I worry that the carries won't be there enough on a consistent basis for J.K. Dobbins to always succeed um, in terms of fantasy points on that end. And then in an article that I had written a few weeks back, I don't remember the exact article, but I had looked at J.K. Dobbins, I believe, and I was looking at the Ravens running backs in terms of pass catching over the last several seasons and I believe since Lamar Jackson has been the quarterback for the Ravens 
the leading running back in targets per game was Ty Montgomery with 1.8 targets per game over that span, um, which is just, I mean, most people figure that Ty Montgomery was even on the Ravens and it was actually Ty Montgomery who um, was leading the Ravens and running back targets during that time. The Ravens simply don't target the running backs. I think most of the time where they have the option to throw down to the running back, Lamar Jackson prefers to run. I just think it's kind of an inherent nature of scrambling quarterbacks that, uh, you know, why, why take the cheap dump down option when they can run it themselves for as many yards, if not more. So I do worry that despite what coaches say J.K. Dobbins just isn't going to see the passing work that we would kind of be looking for in those half PPR or full PPR leagues to to boost the upside that we need for a running back taking those ranges to sometimes hit when they're not seeing 20 plus carries a game. Yeah. So I, I laugh here because J.K. Dobbins is a player that Curtis and I have just been ragging on <laughs> all year. We've basically just been ragging on Baltimore uh, the entire year. But it's funny hearing you talk about it again to bring in just another perspective on it. Because while you were talking, it brought to the forefront of my mind a couple of things that I haven't even mentioned about Dobbins yet. One being, you're absolutely right about the limited targets for running backs in the Baltimore Ravens offense. And when you're thinking about players that you're hoping will be an RB one and you're drafting them on your team. I've talked about this in the context of other players and I actually, I forget if it was on this podcast or if it was when I was a guest on another, I was talking about how when you look at the target volume that a lot of running backs get now and the amount of points that that is equivalent to in PPR leagues, it makes it very hard for those running backs that don't have high target volume to get into that RB one range. So when Mm -hmm. you add that in with the other concerns for JK Dobbins, it's going to be pretty difficult. Now, I think another thing that is a fact that we need to consider when you look at a range of outcomes for him created in the range of outcomes tool, you'll see that very few of his matches put up RB one type of production in their Mm -hmm. coming season. Now, somebody could say to me, well, Dave, it's a little bit different because he didn't take over that RB1 role until later in the season last year. So it might be matching him to players that aren't representative of uh, the situation that Dobbins is in. He's now going to take over as that RB1. What I would push back on and say is that for the most part, the players that are the RB1 type of running backs, they do it very early in their career. And if they're not, even if they're like Dobbins, a player that has the talent probably to be in that sphere, if they're not doing it, it's probably because the it's the way that his team, his, the, his team's offense functions. Right. So there's a reason that last year he couldn't take over. I think he was the best back, but that's not how they operated. So what are the odds that this year things radically change? When you go back and you look historically, we just don't see that happening very much. And it's not like he was on a team where he was sharing time with a top running back in the league. And then the team decided that they weren't going to sign that player and now bring him in. You know, they, they lose Mark Ingram. Mark Ingram last year was not an elite running back. So mm-hmm. um, I think we need to consider that uh, that context there. So people that listen to the show, uh, if J.K. Dobbins does break out and have a monster year, they're probably not going to be happy with us. Yeah, I mean, I it, it is not at all lost on me, the fact that 
a couple things could go right. And J.K. Dobbins is anywhere from a running back five to, I mean, God forbid for the sake of our, our reputations, the <laughs> overall running back one. I don't think that's going to happen. But it's not lost on me that he has a chance. I think he has the talent to be a very productive running back in PPR leagues. I'm, I'm not saying that it won't happen. I'm just saying that I'm concerned that it may not. And I think that at his price point, I can go to other options either later on in the draft who may possibly give me just as much um, production as what I think he is capable of. I actually pulled up my article real quick. I just wanted to go over this for you, if you don't mind. Um, And the article that I wrote about this, um, I had just touched on, because some people I think like to comp Mark Ingram being successful with the Ravens in 2019 as almost like, well, if Mark Ingram can do it, imagine what J.K. Dobbins can do. And I think that's fair to a degree, but I also think that you have to, take into some context what exactly Mark Ingram did. So I had just written in that article, just as in 2019, Mark Ingram finishes at RB10 in PPR per game with 16.4 points, despite being the RB22 in expected fantasy points with 184.5. He averaged only 15.4 opportunities per game that season. It was a running back five in fantasy points over expectation that season was 61.5. Over the last five seasons of the 60 running backs have finished top 12 in PPR per game with a minimum of eight games, only four have seen fewer opportunities per game than Mark Ingram did in 2019. They all averaged at least 5.0 targets per game, and there hasn't been a Ravens running back to draw 2.0 targets per game since Ty Montgomery averaged 2.8 in 2018. So it takes a little bit of a perfect storm in both the terms of volume on the ground and also volume in the air for these running back one finishes to hit. And the Ravens under Lamar Jackson don't give you a lot of reason to believe that one running back can average five targets per game, um, much less the entire, you know, backfield in any given game averaging five targets a game. I believe the Ravens since Lamar Jackson has been named the starter are about four targets per game um, to the running back position as a whole. There's not a lot there so far. Wow, man, that's some fantastic stuff right there. Uh, so I love all of those points. And uh, I believe that you have another name for me of a player that you're avoiding. I do. Um, ironically, I drafted him today on an underdog fantasy draft. Um, that was just completely <laughs> out, out of left field. I, I, I genuinely think it's my first share of him. Um, if, if you're not aware, the wide receiver rooms, the wide receivers are just going off the board of crazy and underdog right now. So before you know it, you're left grabbing Brashad Perriman in the third round looking like a lunatic. But um, nonetheless, I, I haven't quite had to do that yet, but it feels like it's sometimes. Um, nonetheless, The player who I'm also looking to avoid um, right now, particularly because of his ADP, is actually Eagles wide receiver Devonta Smith. Um, I know, you know, former Heisman Trophy winner, insane college production taken in the first round by the Eagles this year. I have no problem with Devonta Smith in terms of his, you know, athletic profile, his his expectations. I know that he's a little undersized, according to some, given his, you know, lack of lack of overall weight in general. But when I think about wide receivers um, and offenses that feature a quarterback like Jalen Hurts, it actually it took me back to and I, I think about this often. It was actually the first ever article I wrote for Rotoviz, um, which is part of the reason why I wasn't high on Marquise Brown last year. And it was for the first article I had done for Rotoviz. It talked about what running 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 quarterbacks, um, where I specifically focused on quarterbacks since 1980 who have rushed. Um, average a season in which they had six or more carries. 
carries per game. And what I found in that article was that a lot of quarterbacks who average six plus rushing attempts per game do not tend to have a wide receiver one tethered to them. Um, In that article, I'm pulling it up right now of the 31 individual seasons that were shown in that article. Um, 13 wide receiver one seasons belong to two of the greatest running quarterbacks in NFL history, Cam Newton and Michael Vick. And in total, 13 different quarterbacks fall within the specified criteria for this search with Newton doing so eight times the most of any quarterback, or I'm sorry, that's actually rushing attempts per game. But, um, but if, when you look back at it, I need to actually take a, take a moment to count them up. Maybe I can do so while, while you share your thoughts on this. But in general, running backs or quarterbacks who average over six carries per game don't tend to produce wide receiver ones. They also don't tend to produce a lot of 1,000-yard wide receivers. Again, this is why I was not high on Marquise Brown last season um, because Lamar Jackson has just historically been the highest rushing court volume quarterback we have ever seen, um, averaging you know 10-plus rush attempts per game since he became a full-time star. And now I'm kind of concerned that the reason that we like Jalen Hurts is that he's going to probably give us a little bit of that Konami code rushing upside. But I also realize that with that could come the trend um, once again, rearing its ugly head of him not being able to produce a wide receiver one for fantasy. Um, You know, we're not drafting Devonta Smith as a wide receiver one, obviously, but um, even wide receiver twos are slim pickings there historically. So as far as uh, Eagles wide receiver goes, if I had to take one, I'd probably take Jalen Rager at a later ADP, but I'm generally fading um, Eagles wide receivers, Devonta Smith in general, having a higher ADP with the idea in mind that Jalen Hurts is going to run enough where the, the targets for wide receivers just might not be there the way we like to see them uh, be there for other wide receivers going in a similar range. Yeah. Um, and Smith, when I looked up his, his ADP for the last mm-hmm. couple of days is going around like right at that wide receiver, like end of the wide receiver three range. So, you know, normally like somewhere around like wide receiver 35, 36, 37. Um, could he achieve that? Yeah. Do I feel great about, him not at all and when i think about the passing game in philadelphia though i'm pretty excited about jalen hurts uh the reasons like you said that i'm excited about him are the ones that detract from (laughs) being excited about the wide receivers um so i i definitely get your point there i mean for me smith is a player that i'm probably not going to be trying to get that often in drafts there's just a lot of things stacked against him you know Mm -hmm. one just being he's a rookie so as a rookie like a wide receiver three finish is still pretty exciting um you know there there is it's unclear to uh exactly how these wide receivers will be deployed things were an absolute mess last year uh i would expect that hurts fix fixes that to some extent but we really only small saw a small sample from him so Mm -hmm. in addition to the potential that we're wrong on hurts uh in addition to the questions of how exactly they're going to operate and in addition to how much of a target share um smith could get and then there's also the question of how good he actually is and how that translates to the nfl there's a lot of assumptions baked into him getting into that wide receiver three conversation now fortunately it doesn't go with too great of a cost but um i definitely take your points there 
Yeah. So, I, so I found my, I found the actual part of my article from, from again, this is last year. So a little bit of data has changed, but I think it, it's good enough. I think as far as we've looked at, I looked at over 30 years when I first wrote it. So in general, we should still see most of it holding, but um, there were 31 different quarterbacks since 1980 who have averaged 6.0 rush attempts per game in a season. Um, of those 31 times that it has occurred, there have been only five occasions in which that quarterback produced a wide receiver one. Um, again, that's finishing in the top. 12 and then as far as a wide receiver two or better that's only occurred nine times um from that same group and then if you remove the cam newton seasons um those numbers actually dip even lower because cam newton did so several times he produced the wide receiver one in three of his eight seasons where he averaged 6.0 rush attempts per game or more um and if you go ahead and remove those seasons then the remaining quarterbacks in that sample size produced the wide receiver one with an underwhelming 7.1 percent of the time um so it doesn't happen very much again we're not looking for devonta smith to be a wide receiver one uh, tight end ones have been produced by quarterbacks at a 35 and a half percent clip compared to wide receiver ones. So maybe that's kind of a way you could look to build it if you wanted to make a case for someone like uh, Dallas Goddard. But just for Devonta Smith, I think that there's other wide receivers that can take around that range um, and, and not draft him. And I just don't have a lot of faith in the Eagles offense even being that great. They gave up so many stacks last season and hopefully they're a little bit healthier. But there's there's I like Jalen Hurts a lot, but I would almost prefer to play him without <laughs> without his weapons unless it's Dallas Goddard or Miles <laughs> Sanders. Perfectly fair. All right. Well, I really appreciate uh, you filling in for Curtis for these two episodes. Glad that I got you back. Why don't you let everybody know where they can find you on Twitter, um, you know, their podcast that you have going on, you know, anything else that you might have that they should look out for this summer? Yeah, you can follow me uh, on Twitter at ZK underscore FFB. Uh, you can check out my work on Rotoviz. I also drop a few articles on 444.com. In addition to that, I have a best ball podcast with Colin Kelly here on Rotoviz Radio called The Best Best Ball Show. And I do have a live stream um, on the Rotoviz YouTube channel. By the way, please go subscribe to it if you haven't. We've been actively boosting subscribers, so I'm trying to you know hopefully keep that going. Uh, my next live stream will actually be a morning live stream on july 26th that is a monday i believe um, i will be doing a live stream with peter Overzet on roster locked from 11 a.m to about 12 maybe 12 30 p.m that day so that'll be a fun time but yeah you can if you take a look on social media you'll probably find me popping up somewhere but those are all all the main spots right now awesome uh i like it now i normally ask curtis to give everybody a thought to leave the audience with as they head into their weekend as they head into their friday evening what words of wisdom can you give to us and i always catch him off guard with this so i think he knows it's coming now but so i felt it was only right to do it to you oh my gosh dude i the other the other day my wife was like do you have any kind of funny story you could like randomly share with me and i didn't even have that like this man it, a word of wisdom that I can that I could leave you with. Um, well, you know what? I'm going to go with this. We're going to just keep it fancy football related. If that's cool, and the next time I'll be better yep. prepared for this. Um, we did not do the lightning round today, but one of the lightning round questions you said was favorite late round player to grab in best ball. Word of wisdom. Go draft Darrington Evans at whatever his ADP is right now. I think that he is a league-winning running back in the making in the event that Derrick Henry goes down. I think he has past catching upside. You, do, All of you drafters out there, 
were higher on him last year than you are this year because he had a little bit of a down season. And I understand that, but his situation has remained unchanged. I think he's going to have a pretty decent camp and I could even see a situation where he maybe gets a little bit of a third down role and becomes a player that you're happy you grabbed at the end of your draft. So my word of wisdom is draft Darnton Evans in a best ball draft this weekend. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveCabinFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at RotovizFFShow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by.